Welcome to Life-Giving Water Messages, where I expound upon the Word of God and, through the internet, deliver it to you. My name is Rev. Todd Laddick, and today I'm bringing to you part one of a multi-part Lenten series entitled uh, Questions to God, with today's message specifically entitled, Who is God?, based off of 1 John chapter 4, verses 7-19. through 19. So let us dive into the Word today. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us his Spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them and they live in God. And we know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God... Our love grows more perfect. So, so we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear, because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he first loved us. Amen. People often wonder who God is, or even if God exists. Each time we give, we receive, or witness love, we get closer and closer to our answer. Now, um, Last uh, message, I, I was talking about uh, having led a Bible or a book study uh, on the on the uh, God delusion, written by uh, Richard Dawkins, because that's what the the kid was reading, and he uh, had asked me questions, and I had suggested, hey, why don't we do this, uh, you know, this book study together, and and we did, and uh, you know, let me let me just start off by saying it might shock people to hear that a pastor doubts and wrestles with his or her faith. I'll say that again. It may sound shocking to hear that a pastor doubts or struggles with his or her faith, but I do, all pastors do. If we didn't, what good would we be at giving advice to people who are doing the same? And going through the same thing. So so I think uh, pastors of all people really do wrestle and struggle with their faith. And yet when you read a book like the, the 
God delusion by atheists, or really properly put, anti-theists such as Richard Dawkins. And the difference between an atheist is an atheist is somebody who doesn't believe in God. Um, but an anti-theist is, is an atheist who believes that they need to spread the good news of atheism to all people. I guess is the best way to put it. They're kind of the religious wing of the uh, atheist uh, belief system. Whereas atheists don't believe, don't care to believe, and want to live their lives and be left alone. Uh, <clears throat> these people are disciples for atheism who want to go out and spread the good news, so to speak, that God isn't real, or whatever the case may be. Anyway, such people who are of that mindset, such as Richard Dawkins uh, and, and others, uh, Samuel Harris for sure, um, those people will say that people of faith throw their reason and their logic out a window and that they just believe pie in the sky and you could tell them it's like telling people hey there's a flying spaghetti monster and I've seen it and I swear to you it's real and everybody just believes it and that's how atheism looks at, at people of faith that we just throw we check our reason and our logic at the door and we just blindly believe whatever we're told because it's in a 3,000 year old book or, or whatever the case may be and as a person who has wrestled with my faith to get to where I am with my faith and have an education uh, you know, an upper education at that, uh, yeah, I, I object to that, and so do a lot of other Christians. And we all know that even John Wesley himself promoted not just Scripture. Scripture was the primary source, sufficient for all things that lead you to salvation. Um, but, but though it was the primary source, it wasn't the only source for Wesley. He believed in tradition. You know, what have people done? Like, what have they believed, you know? That, that the fact that that's stuck around for so long says something. So tradition's important. But tradition isn't the only thing that's important, and some traditions aren't worthy of keeping. Uh, so then you also have reason. We're given our minds to think and to reason for ourselves and to, to be as reasonable in our faith as we can be. And then, of course, experience, the quadrillennial, as we call it, the quadrillennial of scripture, tradition, reason, and experience. And, of course, our own experiences, though anecdotal they may be, are evidence to us. Our experiences are evidence to us of what we are experiencing. And so all of those pieces help us to come together to understand the truth, the biblical truth. And, you know, and as I said in the previous uh uh, message uh, that, you know, at one time we used to look at many different things besides the natural sciences as being science, theology, philosophy, psychology, sociology. Those are all schools of science or knowledge. Um, but nowadays we seem to only recognize one of those schools as the only legit one, the natural physical sciences. And of course, the world isn't just natural and physical. Um, there's other things to it. And so, um, and reality isn't just natural and physical, and we all know that if we experience life. So, um, the point is, is that you can be a person of faith and still use your reason. You can be a thinking, free-thinking person. Um, but there are people out there who think that faith and reason are separate from each other, and they're not. So, anyway... I just want to assure you, I want to assure you that this is normal and natural to have periods of questioning or doubt about who God is or even if God exists. That's your reason working. You know, you are thinking through things as things don't match up to what you formerly believed. And 
And those, those moments of doubt and questioning can actually raise you up into a stronger faith. But it's normal for people to question. Perhaps they've lost a family member they were praying fervently for. Perhaps they were never born in a religious household, but due to exposure from friends, they are questioning whether God exists or not. Perhaps they've been on the margins, homeless, downtrodden, oppressed, and uh, perhaps they've uh, and 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 perhaps they're wondering where is God, and why is God allowing this? How many of us have asked that when we're going through bad times and we see people who are not such good people living it up and we wonder like why do bad things happen to good people why do good things happen to bad people over the millennia people have attempted to answer these and other questions in many ways across cultures places and disciplines they have strived to come up with answers that all too often fall short of assuring us or comforting us and if there were one clear answer we would probably all believe the same thing, and we would no longer need the kind of faith that belief requires. So today's passage offers one very helpful way to think about God's existence and character or nature <clears throat> that goes outside of all of the debates that can be had in philosophy and theology, uh, the atheist versus theist debates and all that. We can just put those aside and look at what the Bible here today offers us uh, and, and, and it's a helpful way to think about God's exist, existence and character or nature. So the passage names the obvious. And an atheist wouldn't disagree. No one has ever seen God. Verse 12a. So even scripture is saying that. Yet it makes a connection between knowing and experiencing love and knowing God. In other words, it's drawing the connection between knowing and experiencing love with knowing God. It goes so far as to say God is love. And therefore, the fact that we love means that we are born of God and know love. And it says that in verse 7 of today's scripture. But how do we know love is of God and not just a human emotion? How does our experience of love connect us to a transcendent divine source of love? In verses 9 through 10, the passage points to the existence and life of Jesus as the way that God's love is revealed or made known. And of course, it's possible to love without believing in Jesus or even he he ever hearing the message that Jesus is God's son. People all around the world of all different religions and even atheists who, who, who have no religion, um, they all love. I mean, not all of them. Uh, people are people. They're good, bad people all over the place. But they have love within them. And they, they, um, and, you know, they can believe that without being Christian. And they can know it without being, I mean, they can experience and know love without uh, being Christian. But with Jesus, something completely new and transformative happened. The creation of a new way of being human and a new community characterized by love. Something much deeper than just an emotion. 
So yes, people can experience the emotion of love and can even love, you know, forget the emotion. They can even act on that emotion and love without knowing Jesus. But Jesus did something different and took us deeper into to a kind of love that we don't know without him. And the writer of 1 John links his experience of love to his experience of Jesus as God's son and savior of the world in verse 14. So just like we can't prove God's existence, we cannot prove Jesus is God's son. However, biblical scholar Luke Timothy Johnson discovers that after Jesus' death on the cross, something happened. It wasn't like Jesus got crucified, he died, and nothing happened, right? After Jesus' death on the cross, something happened happened. It is a historical fact that a new community of people started who lived differently. And as it says in Acts chapter 4 verses 32 through 36, that new community of people started after Jesus's death on the cross. And they claimed to experience release from repressive powers, systems of law, lack of fear of death, freedom, peace, etc. In short, they were a community born of love and characterized by love. And the community itself, the early church, described, described something that happened. It described the something that happened as the resurrection of Jesus, God's Son, from the dead. Now, in... Uh, in First John, they're probably that community. That letter is probably being around, written around. Uh, if we're gonna go moderate, it's probably written around uh, the 90s A.D. Right? Jesus died, in, or C.E. A.D. Uh, Jesus died 33 C.E. or A.D. Right? That's what. Uh, that's you know, a little less than 60 years. Right. A little less than 60 years, 57 years after Jesus' death, how many people get swept up into a, a fable that's only 60 years old? You know, how many of us would believe if somebody wrote a book stating that JFK was the second coming of Jesus? None of us would, because even though some of us weren't living back in that time, myself included, we all know people who were living back in that time, and they would tell you, uh, yeah, no, that's not the truth. He was the president of the United States, and he got assassinated, but he never claimed, nor did anybody follow him as the, the second coming of Jesus. No, not true. So, again, this new community that came after Jesus' resurrection and a an, new way of being human points to the reality and character of a loving God as revealed in Jesus. Why would a community start up on a myth that's only 60 years old. It wouldn't, for the most part. Not one that would certainly endure 2,000 years or more. The community, the church, and way of being human continues to this day. The church's continued existence and our participation in it, most especially the church's continued, yeah, I mean, most especially our loving and being loved are evidence of God's existence. And I want to pause here because the other thing is not only did the Christian church 
um, become a thing remarkably right after Jesus's uh, uh, death and resurrection. But in 400 years, that church overcame the Roman Empire without a sword. Now, there were plenty of swords in the church's history in the future from that point onward, but, but truthfully told, um, the, the Christian church was being persecuted by the Romans, but instead of being persecuted, in 400 years, the Romans became Christian. That's nuts when you think about it. That's nuts. So, um, God, who was revealed in Jesus, right? God, who was uh, revealed in Jesus, is now present with us, the Bible says, verse 13, to continue this transformation in and by love. And we see that in the church, not only being transformed by Jesus early on, but then transforming not just people, but an entire empire in the end uh, by in and by Christ's love. Now, again, this does not mean that the church always gets it right. There are lots of people who like Jesus but do not like the church because they've been hurt by the church. And they've been hurt by people in it or have experienced the hypocrisy of people who claim to be Christian. They have a sense that if there is a God, God probably looks more like the love Jesus stood for than what they see happening in churches at times. As people who claim to be followers of Jesus, we do, and I want everybody to hear this, we have a responsibility to be the evidence of God's existence for love for others by loving them, not by judging them, yelling at them, calling them sinners, telling them they're going to hell or whatever other things Christians tend to do. We have a responsibility to be the evidence of God's existence for others by loving them. Love is the ultimate expression of the Holy Spirit. We are to be as he, Jesus, is in this world, as we are shaped and perfected by the love that we receive from God and Jesus, as it says in verse 17. And the passage describes what this looks like in verse 18. Perfect love casts out fear. So I want to invite you to reflect on the times you've experienced love and if or how that has made you feel connected to God. How might you share and show that love to others? There is so much in the world that can make us feel jaded, depressed, cynical, angry, etc. What does it look like to instead abide in love? which is the same as to abide in God, to choose love as our dwelling place and home. How do we show love to people when they've hurt us? How do we show publicly love? Or how do we show love publicly, I should say, for all in our community? How do we show love to ourselves? As God has called us to care for and love ourselves too. Now, I'm not talking about being selfish, but I am talking about taking care of yourself. And if you can't take care of yourself, you have no business taking care of anybody else. Honestly, you have no energy to. And if you have no love for yourself, how do you have love for anybody else? 
So how do we do this? Well, if we're huggers, we can give a hug, so long as the person that uh, we're hugging is okay with us hugging them. Remember, being a hugger is one thing, being a sexual harasser is another. We're not sexual harassers, we're uh, agents of God's love. So uh, hugs are great for people who want them. If not, find another way to show love. We can actively and openly show people forgiveness. We can raise up issues to our town council and advocate for justice for the poor, the addicts, the homeless, the hungry, the sick, and the forgotten. We can call people who haven't, we haven't seen in a while to tell them how much they are loved and missed. There are so many practical, concrete things we can do to live in love. It is okay to have questions about who God is and if God exists. God is big enough to handle our doubts and questions. What would it look like, though, if we, were, if we let our wondering drive us into deeper experiences and expressions of love and looked for God there? Let us be a people who see Christ in the faces of all we come across. And in seeing Christ, let us be reminded that when we love and care for the least of these, we are doing so for Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we just thank you and praise you for this opportunity to be here, to be worshiping you, and to, uh, to just be filled with your Holy Spirit and challenged by the message that you bring us today, Lord. We are dealing with a world who doesn't know you. And sadly, we've been a part of misrepresenting who you are to the world. And so, Lord, we have a responsibility as Christians to really reflect who you are through your love and to embody the kind of love that you have for us to others, for others, so that we may show them you show them your love and invite them into a family that never ends we thank you and we praise you and we ask you to bless us so that we may bless others in jesus name amen friends thank you for tuning in as always i'm i'm excited to uh bring these messages to you and i hope you get as much out of them as i do uh, with that said, if you are able to contribute, there are links in the episode notes that will help you do so. Um, but always remember that you are richly blessed so that you may be a blessing to others. Go in peace. Go in peace.